Blog Talk Radio. Tennis, Mr. Chuck Greasy. Ladies and gentlemen, it's time to get in the game. And good morning, good afternoon. Hello once again. This is Coach Chuck Creasy and another week of American Tennis. And thanks for listening, folks. I really, really appreciate it. In our eighth year. Uh, started UR Tennis Network, now it's Yellow Ball Network, but uh, we've been going with American Tennis now for eight years, and, and I'm just uh, so proud to be able to do this, and I'm keeping on, keeping on, as as you would say, and, and uh, trying to talk about tennis and trying to help American tennis and doing what I can do, my part, to just get some stuff out there and as you put anything out there on the airways or your Facebook or through a book or working with young people or coaching or giving talks or just talking with your neighbor and your friend, we've got to do stuff to help American tennis. That's what our job is. This is American tennis. We always say just do your part. Do your part, whatever that might be. Stand up, speak out, say what needs to be said. I always say address issues, not people. You can pretty much say whatever you want to do if you stay prof- what you want if you just stay professional. Uh, can you address organizations? Yeah, yeah, go after those organizations. You know, bureaucracies are made of bad bureaucracies have a lot of good people and some not so good maybe. It's just like anything else you can address. Talk about uh, organizations or whatever you want. Probably I always tell my friends, you know, just don't be personal, uh, just address issues. But we need to do that so much more. And and more than anything, I had a recent experience. I, I'm not going to get sidetracked. I do want to get quite uh, very fast to our topic. But recently I had an experience where I was with a group of coaches, and, and privately every coach was – very much on board and talking. We're talking the same language. And then coaches get in a different venue and they buckle. They basically, you know, old people, I, I, want, I, you know, they say if you retire, you expire. And that's so true. I, I'm fighting. I don't want to 
ever, ever just stop working or trying to do uh, do what I'm passionate about, your passion work. When you get older, it's you can the dirty work we all have to do. Hopefully, you can dump some of that as you get older, but keep your passion work going, whatever that is. Passion with people, keep the teaching going or whatever. But the bottom line, old people, when you get older, you basically just check out a little bit. You say, I've done my part, and uh, that's not right. The older people in the United States of America, we, 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 we don't look to old people for the wisdom. Other countries, they do. But with, old, with the old people, we think that they're supposed to go retire and they're done. But that's where all the wisdom is at. And those are the people who don't really care what other people think about them a lot. And they can say the right things and stand up and speak out, but they don't. A lot of them are just cashing in and checking out. Young people just want to fit in. If you're, I remember what it's like from 23 to 30 to pretty, I'm pretty close up to about 35. 35, you absolutely just want to fit in. You want to be part of something. So you're, you're just uh, boat riders a lot of times. I told my players the other day as you go through this hierarchy of commitments from compliance to commitment to inspired enthusiasm to even deeper levels. I said before compliance, great, great leaders have defiance sometimes. They don't like just fitting in. They'll question authority. They'll question. And that's not all bad. It's just if you stay professional and you address issues, not people, you're supposed to question, especially if something's not right. So you young folks, don't be afraid to stand up and speak out also. Unfortunately, and then the middle-aged people, which many of my friends and my profession are, they've got the golden handcuffs on. They're 15, 20 years into their job. They don't want to screw up their retirement. They just sort of have to stay status quo. But we need everybody involved, all of you, all of you. I'm very fired up about talking about today's um, subject because what I saw at the, and what you saw in the finals of the U.S. Open, <clears throat> I wrote, uh, I don't like this Facebook thing. I said everybody's a hero on Facebook. I, I don't like it, but I did get on there, and I wrote some stuff. I, uh, I put one of the posts I put <clears throat> was that character, stamina, uh, work ethic, and class and just general goodness was on display at the U.S. Open final in a four-hour and 40-minute match with Nadal and Medvedev. All of those great, great qualities that tennis, we all learned in, through tennis as a young man, as a young lady, those were all on display. And guess what took second the back seat? It was the Madison Avenue marketing hubbub. It wasn't the money. It wasn't even, you know, he's going to get his trophy. But what those two guys did for tennis is there in each and every one of our youngsters, and it can be there in each one of each and every one of our college students. It can be there in each and every person as they take the tennis court if we honor the sport and respect the sport like we should. But unfortunately. 
and I've, I've got to get on to the topic here, but I, I've got to make this point. Unfortunately to all of you, I'm saying that we have diluted, polluted, and prostituted the greatest game in the world, the greatest sport in the world. It's more than just a game. It's a sport. This is a great, great sport. It's the best of all sports. We diluted, polluted, and prostituted it by letting marketers come in and do the Madison Avenue hubbub. We don't have educators making the decision. That's all right. Let marketers do their Madison Avenue hubbub. That's fine. Good for you guys. Good for you. Maybe you're getting more money for people. But the, but the whole thing about how we lead the sport, how, who leads the sport, how we shape the sport, how we direct the sport should be done by educators, not entertainers. It is critical that we have the right people in the right positions. We do not need small people, small characters in big positions. People who would market the sport first, wrong, wrong, wrong. People who promote the education of it. It's not just grow the game, grassroots, net generation, all these hubbub things. It's not just that stuff. It's so much more. And we, we, could, we could do it at the ground level. We, could, we, we need to do bottom up. And each one of you, me, everybody needs to be part of that journey and part of that task and part of that mission. Do our part. And where are organizations, USTA, yes, and OITA, give me a break on that one. But the bottom line, these organizations, they try to manage top down. And when you manage top down, by the time it gets to the third or fourth level of exchange, of ideas and issues, it's diluted. And then, of course, people move in when the door's opening, the door's open, and it becomes polluted with wrong things. And it is, of course, prostituted, and that inspires no one, no one at all. But those two guys, I looked at that, and I am so proud to be a tennis player, just like after the Nadal or excuse me, the Federer and Djokovic match at Wimbledon. You're beating your chest afterwards saying, I'm proud to be in this sport. I don't see any sport like this that where two people battle like that. And wasn't it the respect that they showed for each other that was so fantastic? There's Nadal playing this upstart that he beat 3-0 and a couple weeks ago. And here he is battling for his life respecting and honoring the game. And thank God, thank goodness, the announcer, that lady, whoever it was, instead of saying, oh, look at that nice forehand. Oh, look at that nice backhand. Oh, he's getting up crowded. She said, Nadal, four times, I think, or five times, she said, he made the comments, all I have to do is suffer. Suffer. If players just understood that, if kids just understood that, if our tournament directors understood that that's how people get better. That's how you're stretched. Huh, that was worth that was worth 18 months of, months of practice to Menvedev. It's not about the forehands and the backhands, guys. It's not about forehands and backhands to all of you. It's about training of the heart much and, and things that are much deeper. And listen, it, it, that was 
fantastic. I'm proud to be in tennis. I'm proud of what tennis is. I am disgusted, disturbed, and I'm going to fight forever to keep these marketing people and our leaders who would look for the hocus pocus first who promote the shine of the rhinestones instead of the trueness of the diamonds. I, I, I will fight those people forever, and it starts with scoring system. It starts with abbreviated tennis. It starts with anybody who would market the sport over teaching the sport at the grassroots first. We must build bottom-up, not top-down. Our program today, three fundamentals to win against your top opponents. Three fundamentals to win against your top opponents. And I will be right back. And we will get on with it. And, folks, I've got a great thing to tell you here if you will hang on. And uh, the, the, the stuff that we're going to be giving you, you're not going to hear it anywhere else. We'll be right back. American Tennis. Coach Chuck Creasy, and I am extremely proud that I have written four tennis books. I've had one translated into Japanese, and then I have written two other books, six books total, but I've been fortunate enough to be able to do this. My book, Coaching Tennis, is now at one of the top-selling books for the last 20 years out there that will teach your youngster, you or your player, more about the great, great depth of the game. You can go to Amazon and order. It's called Coaching Tennis by Coach Chuck Creasy, K-R-I-E-S-E. Order this book today, and by the way, it will be one of the only places where you can learn about momentum control in the world. I've worked on momentum control since 1979, and it is displayed in Coaching Tennis and so much more. The book is Coaching Tennis, and I'm Coach Chuck Creasy. Most of the mistakes that are made 
when a player is developing and coming up the ranks is done in scheduling. And I would say 60% of the coaches out there are saying, no, as soon as they're getting good, you play them up, you get more opportunities for good wins, less opportunities for bad losses. And what they do is they run the kids up the stairs too fast, they skip a few stairs, and when they fall, they fall hard. I've given the example often of players that have risen quick and fallen quick. And, um, you know, I, I just thinking now about that girl, Coco Golf, if she is handled properly and if they fill in her bottom end, that's not her top end, we all know that, but if they fill in the bottom end, making her do enough dirty work, uh, she will be a great player for the next 20 or 25 years. If they don't, it could be, it, it's it's going to be more difficult. But most of the time when players show promise, we mess them up by putting too much food on the table that they can't digest. And it's it's not what you eat, it's what you digest. And you've got to be, uh, it. it's not the top end that makes the great player, it's how not low the bottom end is. So let's say on a scale of 0 to 10, if a player's top end is an 8 and the bottom end is a 4, well, how do you get the top end to a 9? Most people would say, well, you just play up, play up, play up. Well, you might get a win, and your top end might go up to the 9. Guess where your bottom end is? Your bottom end's still at a 4. So the trick, the trick is to always, always fill in the bottom end and let the players get good with their dirty work matches. And you have to schedule. Every coach knows that the old one-third, one-third, one-third rule is a good one. One-third of the time you schedule below, one-third even with your level, one-third up. The beautiful thing about tennis tournaments is that in a weekend you might play the first two le- first two rounds against player a player that is weaker than you, middle rounds, player that is even with you, and then in the semis and the finals, you get challenged with someone's bigger than you. I've often stated that this is my problem with team tennis. When you play team tennis, you're always playing someone your own level. Therefore, in team tennis, you only grow arithmetically, but when you fall, you fall geometrically or exponentially. A bad loss at the wrong time, costing your team the whole match. I've seen a lot of careers go down to tubes for six or eight weeks trying to bring players out of it. Tournament tennis, you grow exponentially or geometrically, and you only fall arithmetically. So many players will lose a first round, lose a first round, lose a first round, and boom, they have a summer like Menvedev had. They have a tournament like Coco Golf had there at Wimbledon, and they break through. Well, they break through with their top level, but there's a lot of work to do yet with the bottom level. So the point being is that tournament tennis, yes, it's better, but picking the tournaments wisely is important as well. So I'm bringing this up because in my own scheduling over the years, um, I, I realize it's one-third, one-third, one-third. And it, it, as best you can when you're making out a schedule, you try to build to a, a crescendo. You start with training then easier tournaments, and you build to a crescendo, a very, very tough tournament. And then once you play that tough tournament, if the person loses, you go and play an easy tournament and then go to your rest period, having a trophy to look at night from that easy tournament after the tough one. 
but if the if you do real well in that big tournament, that little tournament, depending on the player, they might need more dirty work, but a lot of times you can let the person set on their confidence. I've done I've covered this in our scheduling many, many times. So what I would like to say here is that in the scheduling, I've sort of named four different levels. The levels are tournaments where you can't win, the player can't win. This is someone who's two levels above your player. They can't win, then could win, then should win, then you're going to win. So let's look at these four levels. Can't win means, look, if I'm playing on my scale, let's see, my top end is my nine, I'm playing my very, very, very best, and the other person is playing just gobbledygook tennis, just playing terrible, and they're playing their worst game, they're still going to beat me. Well, that's a match. Can't win. Can't win. And uh, we always say there ain't no horse that can't be rode, ain't no rider that can't be throwed. By the way, that's Gary Cooper from the 1940s or 50s. I saw a video on him, and that was attributed to his daughter, I think, was quoted. It said that, ain't no horse can't be rode, ain't no rider can't be thrown. That's a great one for life. It's a great one for competition. However, in tennis, if somebody's two levels better, they're two levels better on their worst day, or they're one level better on their worst day, you can't beat them. Then the matches, so that's let's call that level four, the top level. Then level three coming down would be the could wins. Now, these are matches where I'm ranked, my top end is, if I'm a nine, I'll beat their that person's level five or six. In other words, if they're not ready to play, watch out. So this happens a lot in tournaments in early rounds when the favorite player is tight in their choking. The underdog plays their hero match, and they say they tree or whatever. First of all, you can't do what you can't do. So treeing is, you know, um, I don't like that statement because you can't do it. If your body can do it, your body can do it. But mentally and emotionally, you may not have grown into the situation yet. So when you play the could-win matches, these are hero matches. Everyone loves to play these level three is what we'll call them matches. You're playing up. So when a player like a Coco Golf wins and they get hot, then – the coaches, the people think, hey, great idea. Let's start feeding them into big tournaments, big tournaments, big tournaments. And what happens is the adventure becomes a job in many, many different ways. And mainly it's not about the tennis game. It's about the emotional level of maintaining uh, a level for a period of time and maintaining emotional and physical level for a period of time. So that, that becomes a problem. That's a level three. Level two is a should-win match. These should-win matches, listen, parents, coaches, players, listen. This is the trick. You want to be a great tennis player? You win those should-win matches. Go out and take care of business against the players you hate playing because if you don't play good, they're going to beat you. <clears throat> and these are the losses you don't want to have. I don't care if you're 11.0 UTR and somebody's a 10.5, you think you're better, <clears throat> you got to go out and do the work. you got to pay your dues every point. And it's, it's, uh, look, Nadal was playing a should win, 
And Medvedev was a could win that can't win, sort of between a uh, a three to a level four. Could win, could win if everything right, right, but can't win. The thing that was beautiful about Nadal is how he honors the sport. He wasn't walking around and doing the arrogant things that players do when they think they're all right to be smarter than my hound dog. I don't want to have to outrun him. In other words, you don't do the things you've got to outwork that lesser opponent. So Nadal comes out and he outworks everybody. And guess what? He keeps his top level up and his bottom level is up as well. So the, the matches that you play in level two, we'll call it, is the matches that are you should win. These are the dirty work matches. The number one matches are you're going to win. The, they're confidence builders. Are confidence builders important? You bet they are. Listen, I will tell you right here and now, thank you, City Parks, Indianapolis, Indiana, in 1964, 65, and 66 for me, and CYO, Catholic Youth Organization Tournaments. Those were tournaments where I got my confidence from winning matches and winning tournaments I was supposed to win. Now you venture out and play bigger ones where you should win some matches and then you could win others and you learn to fight and you learn to learn, but you've got to play those confidence builders too. And guess what? Those were big, big tournaments for me and for your kid, your youngster at the time when you're playing them. It's so, so important that you spend time, but understand there are four levels. You know, can't win, could win, should win, go to win. The hero matches are can't win or could win. The dirty work matches that bring, listen now, the dirty work matches bring up your bottom level. So that player who was at an eight and they went to a nine and their bottom level still at a three, when every time you win one of those dirty work matches, you get the the bottom level of a three or a four comes up a half a point. Then you're up to a five, your bottom level. You win a tournament and practice and practice and winning the matches you're supposed to win is how you bring the bottom level up. Ultimately, our champions, Nadal, Djokovic, these players play big at times, and they're also big time. Many players play big at times, but you'll never see them in the big time because they don't take care of their bottom level. So we want to talk today about the three fundamentals to win against top opponents. And listen now, here we go, here we go. Remember this if, as a competitor. Remember this even when it gets really, really hard, but we're going to talking about, we're going to talk about take their legs, beat their head, break their heart, and their game will fall. Take their legs, beat their head, break their heart, and the game, their game will fall. Most of the time as an underdog, you'll go out onto the court and you'll try to do it with your strokes. And somebody will give you some kind of strategy. Oh, play their backhand. Play their backhand. Just here's the shot that's weak, and we you go after their game. If you go after their game, they will prop it up. If you haven't taken their legs, beat their head, and break their heart, they will prop up their game somehow, some which way, 
and they will be fighting and fighting and fighting till the last their last breath. That does not work. It was not Medvedev's strokes that gave him a chance against Nadal. I want to throw this in because I I forgot to mention it earlier. Isn't it interesting that four hours and 40 minutes, though, Medvedev never led. Nadal was always ahead and trying to consolidate another part of the victory. Medvedev fought and hung on, fought and hung on, but he never led. His, think about also what happens when a player gets ahead if they have not been used to carrying a lead against a better player in the pecking order. It's not the skill set. It's the pecking order of tennis, and, it, and it's also the experience and all those things. But think about Medvedev slipping. He was up 2-2 in the fifth. 40 love up, and he let that game slip. It's interesting Nadal was ready to close out in the third, wasn't he? Where did the break come in the third for Medvedev? Nadal was up 40-15, and he let it slip. It's always doing what you, this is for life, but this is for scheduling, but this is in a tennis match. It's always doing what you don't need to do when you don't need to do it. It's always taking care of the details when you're ahead. It's always discipline when you're ahead. It's, and, and no matter what it feels like when you get ahead and you want the pressure to go away, it's always about the discipline when you're ahead. I always tell my players, win very boring, lose very exciting. You win with fundamentals. You lose <laughs> with, with throwing every bit of the kitchen sink at the person. You may keep it exciting you know, when you lose. But let's go back to the whole statement of take their legs, beat their head, break their heart. The legs are the most important part. As if you're a coach, you understand this. And we're starting out the season with my team here in the fall, and I love this part of the training season. The next month is just a coaching paradise as we build the players. It's not the, the razzmatazz of the tournaments. And it is fun to see a player make jumps, but I love the training part of it. As a coach, you need to love the training part of it. If you love the training as a player, you're going to be a great one. But as a, as a coach, when the players say to me, like we, we have people trying to, all of our players are trying to make the mile time right now. They've got to make a mile time. I have a no cut, but a very high bar. If you want to be on the team, you've got to make a certain mile time. Well, when the rare question, but it always comes up, I want to be a great tennis player. I don't want to be on the track team. I've had that one asked. I said, but tennis is a running sport. When a tennis player loses, if you've ever played at a high, high level, the first thing that happens is you lose a step. Your legs go. And it doesn't mean that they go to cramping first. It doesn't mean that they're out of gas but it is your first step is a little slower. You don't quite get set up for the ball. You don't quite get in position with your leg and the thrust of your leg and using a kinetic change to accelerate the racket and reverse the spin of the ball. You see that if you're playing somebody like Nadal who has so much RPM on the ball, you've got to stay up in the court and not give up court. But at the same time, you have to reverse the spin of the ball. And if you're late to the ball, you can't reverse the spin, so you end up on the defense and you end up getting jerked around and jerked around. 
the first thing to go is the legs. So as a player, and I do want to make a difference here, there is a difference in men's tennis and women's tennis to a certain extent. In women's tennis, I have learned that attacking movement is way more important than attacking strokes. You attack the movement. When I coached, I was fortunate enough for a couple years to coach a lot, a lot of women's tennis. I coached men and women's when I was in Southeast Asia, but I had two of the best junior players in the world that I was coaching. But I would tell them, take the legs. And these uh, Thai girls, I would tell them, take the legs. First thing, they must run sprints side to side to side. They must run three sprints. First thing, that's first job, not to win the point, but make them start running sprints. And usually it would take about 45 minutes if they executed the, the strategy and the shot selection that I would give them to the, the other girl to start being a little bit late to the ball. And once that happened, errors start coming galore. And here's the thing, if you open the court and try to take their legs first, there really is nowhere to go if they haven't done their fitness. And tennis players, I love it if the players are great in great shape, but if players haven't done their fitness, there's nowhere to go. That's why fitness is such a big, big component. That's why we should not play these abbreviated, pardon me, but short matches, short scoring, hokey pokey, Circus tennis, rec tennis, we should not play those formats with our youngsters because they've got to learn how to extend rallies. You learn how to extend rallies, then points, then games, then sets, then matches, then tournaments, then seasons, then careers. Think about that building block of extending points that we do or extending games that we do when we play no ad. Our kids don't learn how to play. But but in women's tennis especially, you take the leg first. For sure you take the legs. Because women, for the most part, if you play back a little bit, you don't step up in the court. And Monica Sellis would be the best video to, for any of you to watch with women's tennis, how she opened the court, if you'll just sort of watch what she did. But the women who are movers and can run, you get them to play up in the court. If the young lady that you coach is a big hitter, they can play further back, and they've got to hit RPM on the ball when you're hitting through the court because the ball has to have enough spin on it that makes it hard to reverse the spin. But taking the legs is the first most important thing. So take the legs, beat the head, break the heart, and the game will fall. So the legs are important. In men's tennis, there's many, many things that you have to look at. But uh, it's interesting, this O'Shaughnessy guy comes in and he says that, hey, every rally is about four seconds. Well, yeah, and, you know, it's interesting in the semifinals, um, the guy, uh, gosh, what the heck, Bortolini or the guy for, who was the – Italian guy, when he was playing Nadal, he was trying to get at him the first three or four balls. Well, that's nice if you can do that, if you've got big enough shots. But in the end, if you can't keep a rally, 10 to 15 rallies, and you never get the easy balls, you're going to miss pretty early because the great players 
they can hurt you, but they can body punch all day too. Like a great boxer, sure, it's good to have a great knockout blow, but you, you also have to have the body punches. Those body punches for women's tennis are the most important thing. It was the, it's the body punches that Nadal gives you over and over and over again. And guess what? Yeah, he's developed his serve to where he can hurt people. But for the most part, it's the body punches. And any great boxer, any great boxer will say that uh, boxers hate body punches much more than head, head blows. It, those are the ones that do the damage. So taking their legs is very much like doing body punches, and that's what the goal is. So take the legs, beat their head. How do you beat their head? You beat their head, number one, with shot selection, number two, with decisions that you make on the court as far as momentum control. Every time I've taught, I say it's the how, the where, the when. The where you hit the ball and when you do what, the tactical things are important. Beat their head. Now, let me make this point. The most important thing in Beating the other person's head is this. It's a subtlety, and some of you might label this in the emotional part of the game, but it is part of the mental, emotional part of the game. The subtlety in winning versus losing and turning a match that you could win into a should win, a could win into a should win match, is you must believe you are the constant and the opponent is the variable. When you go to the court, whether your tank is full, half full, quarter full, 90% full, it's irrelevant. You never think about your game, how you're playing, your forehand, your backhand. Oh, I've got to do this on my toss. Oh, my legs are hurt. The minute you go to me focused, the more that you go to the inner man or the inner woman, you're dead in the water. You must be proactive and the opponent must be reactive. This is the most important thing in beating their head. You beat their head by, I am the constant, you are the variable. This is the subtle thing that players must see. They must see the opponent's bad shots and your own good shots. When you lose, you start, listen, when you lose, you start seeing your bad and the opponent's good. The opponent rips two winners, and you go, oh, that hurts, that hurts. That's why I always encourage my players to say good shot and walk away. It's just part of the game. That's nice. They hit a winner. Whoops, I made a mistake. Go do my routine. It's how you manage their good and your bad. You must see your good and say, whoa, my shots are, let's let this thing roll. And you've got to see their bad. When they make a mistake, when they hang their head, when their body language is bad, you must be aware of their weaknesses and your strengths. This is critical. It's as critical as a boxer keeping his gloves up when they're in trouble or not. You must keep body language good. You must project a strong image. You must see your good and their bad. It's incredibly important to, to acknowledge that. So take their legs, beat their head. Again, shot selection is important in all your training, beating their head. Your shot selection is important, whether it's the Wardlaw directionals, whether it's the three-dimensional tennis, the Van Gelderen three-dimensional tennis, or whether it's any other shot selection strategies, you stay with your base. You keep it simple. Keep it 
keep it. There's a saying that you complexity in in preparation, simplicity in execution, but you keep it simple. Then uh, when you're playing, you you absolutely the last finishing touch is momentum control. And folks, go to my book, get my book, coaching tennis. My old one was total tennis training. This coaching tennis is the book for you to get. Go get it and read the momentum control part, and it will open up a whole new avenue so that even in the most dire of all straits, in the most pressure-filled moments, you will be able to be proactive, run a play, and you will be able to not be, you won't be reactive to what the opponent does. Take their legs, beat their head. Now, how do you break their heart? You know, um, there's no substitute for winning in tennis, number one. You've got to be used to it. And if you, I always tell players, I ask juniors, I said, when's the last time you won a tournament? If you haven't won three or four tournaments this summer, go sign up for that CYO or the PAL club or the Little Sisters of the Poor Open and get that trophy and carry them home. There is no bad win in tennis, to quote the great travel coach for the last 23 years on the Pro Tour, Robert Davis. And, uh, you know, I need to get him on the um, program one of these days, but he's a brilliant man, does a lot of writing. If you'll pick up Robert Davis, he's actually in Southeast Asia, but his writing is brilliant, and he understands the game inside and out from traveling on the Pro Tour for 23 years. But there is no bad win in tennis. Gosh, I've got a lot of stories about that. I have actually played my number six player against a manager several times just to get a win. I've often learned that when a player's in a slump, I'll feed them wins, 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 and they can make big jumps. If you'll look at Jimmy Connors' early part of his career, and a guy named Bill Reard managed him very, very well, kept him on the lower circuit. Until he was ready. If you look at Leighton Hewitt's career, he popped up and won a big event at age 16, and they did a brilliant job. I think I believe Tony Roach, if this story is accurate, Tony Roach took him around, let him sit in the locker rooms, all the Grand Prix and all, or excuse me, all of the uh, tour events. And what he what he did was he let him be hitting hitting partner, but never let him in a tournament. <clears throat> he did that for four or five months, and he made him play all the dirty work matches to earn his way up so that he would visualize what he, where he was going, but then he came back and did the dirty work matches. How do you break their heart? You've got to be, I hate to say a cold-blooded killer, but you have to have the eye of the tiger. When it's time to win, there it has to be about discipline. It's not about excitement. It's boring when you win. It really is. It's boring, and it's a fundamental, and you basically have to figure this out. When you break their heart, the other person loses, and a lot of times they're going to be fighting. They're going to be hurting themselves. They're going to be fighting. And according to your player's personality, which you can't change, there are people who are control people, cholerics we call them, that because they just believe they're supposed to. But then you have the people who are more sensitive that take their foot off the gas, and there's some people that flinch and turn, but you have to still break the will to win. If you do these things, take their legs, beat their head, break their heart, 
then their game goes away. But remember, if you do it reverse and try to go after their game, they'll prop it up with chopsticks and they'll throw anything but the kitchen sink to try to compete. You must break a competitor's will to compete. You've got to break the person by staying focused on the you are the constant, they are the variable. Take their legs first, beat their head second, break their heart, and then their game falls. By the way, you never beat someone. You make them lose. Remember that. Always make your opponent lose. Make them submit. Make them say, uncle, enough. They will, by the way. When a tennis player is going down, they're embarrassed. A lot of times they're looking for an exit. A lot of times they're looking for the next bus out of town. But take their legs, beat their head, break their heart, and their game will fall. So much to learn. Go back and watch Nadal versus Medvedev again. Watch the whole thing. Have your kids watch. Watch Federer versus Djokovic. One more last thing. You know, Federer never led in that match. Federer never led against Djokovic. When he went up, he gave the lead back. Remember the third set when he had a chance in the tiebreaker? He's up like 4-1, and he played the worst tennis of the tournament, of that match. He wasn't comfortable. Can you believe that, a Roger Federer? But that was like a – even he didn't lead there. And then he tied it up two sets all, and then – he gets up to break in the fifth, didn't he? And he was serving, remember, 40-15, and he didn't consolidate his lead. It's very, very interesting that Medvedev never led in four hours and 40 minutes either against Nadal the other night. That's why it's important to learn how to be the favorite in tennis. It's not by arrogance. It's not by anything you do that is flash or market, marketing from Fifth, from Madison Avenue, it's about honoring the game, doing the work. If you honor the game, the game will honor you and you will grow step by step. Inch by inch, it's a cinch, yard by yard, too darn hard. And, folks, it's time for me to go. And I wanted to thank you for listening to American Tennis. I'm Coach Chuck Creasy. And remember, you're in the process of winning or losing every day of your life. It has very little to do with a win or a loss. We will see you. Come.